We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. So this afternoon, we're going to be leading through a guided meditation around the theme of economic justice based on three parables from Luke's Gospel. As you might notice, the room's a little different to normal. So after each meditation, there'll be a chance to reflect in smaller groups and ask one another some questions. Um, Groups of like three to five would be the ideal number. So if you haven't got a space in the room, then make sure you find the space around the table. Um, Yeah, so these meditations uh, are going to reflect on three stories told by Jesus that he considered to demonstrate something of the nature of the kingdom of heaven. Our aim is to once again use these stories as a way of waking up our theology and political imaginations, to really hear and in turn enter the stories ourselves as active participants in a symbolic moment that is at once beyond our grasp and yet deeply familiar and felt, perhaps noticing the soft echo of our own lives and work in the loneliness and patience of a farmer who went out to sow his seeds. So this is a reading from Luke While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. It's shortly after dawn, and the farmer's already at work. An unsteady light begins to make its way across the valley. The surrounding hills stir from an uneasy sleep. The landscape around is dotted with day labourers spread out across the valley. They're working in the fields, though they do not own the land. The work is hard. The land has struggled to produce for years, pushed to its limits by industrial demands, while profit funnels into the hands of those already privileged by the system, whose shoes are innocent of the earth and bodies unburdened by the work it demands. In a desperate effort, the workers will sow amongst rocks, thorns, and weeds, anywhere their hands can reach, even onto the road. The farmer knows the difficulty of the work that lies ahead of him, and he's coming to know with patience and faithfulness what will be required of him. Though it perhaps feels like all worthy hopes for success in life lie elsewhere, in the cities, in a migration to the places of economic growth and power, to this few acres of soil he has returned to year on year. The economic system can be hostile soil to plant a seed, an ideological minefield. Looking below the surface amongst the scattering of ideologies, think about what you believe about work and money. What's our place in this world? Each of us partaking in the movement of life and growth while feeling trapped in the monotonous orbit round and around the impersonal, indifferent cycle of things past and things yet to come. It's easy to feel weak in the waiting, wondering what's real and trustworthy. Later in the passage when the disciples ask Jesus to reveal the meaning beneath the parable, he tells them that the seed stands for the word of God, 
and that the word is planted like a seed into soil. The means for the kingdom of heaven has been hidden like a shoot under the soil beyond reach. The seasons pass over the farmer as the broad shadows cast by clouds move over him, darkening the land and brightening it once again. He waits, helpless as a child, to what's happening beneath the ground. But the winter gives way to a soft rain, the snow thaws and gives way to sunshine. The trees leaf and the seeds sprout in the field. The sower doesn't understand how it happens, but as the day grows longer, the earth seems to produce the crops all by itself. Breaking through the floor, first a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the great ripe grape grain ripens. The sun has scorched the field. The thorns which represent the deception of wealth have choked some of the crop, whilst some has been trampled underfoot of villages. Even the birds who themselves don't plant or harvest or store up anything for themselves have eaten their fair share, what is naturally provided by their heavenly father. But the seed that has found good soil, standing for those who have heard the word and understood it, has persevered and produced a crop a hundred times what was planted. For the sower, the kingdom comes like a stone thrown into the stagnant waters of tedious existence. He lives by a bounty that is not his own. What a comfort to him. Beyond the limits of all his strength, intelligence, desire, hope and faith, there is more. And so he will be at peace. Potent and abounding as it has ever been, the good soil spills out a yield of crop a hundred times more than what was planted. The smallest seed has grown to be the largest of trees. Creatures will find their home in the branches and the leaves that sprout from it will heal the nations. reading is from Luke 12. Um, Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. Then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I I will store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. 
But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. The ground has yielded an abundant harvest. He who once had little to his name but a handful of seed now stands before a field that is plentiful. The seasons have changed before his very eyes. A miraculous abundance has been sent forth from the ground. Look around and see. The patience and toil of winter has produced a crop ripe for the picking. It's more than enough. It's a golden opportunity. This might not come around again anytime soon. With his hands to the sickle and fields of wheat ahead of him, the farmer sets his sights on preparing a barn large enough to hold this surplus. With a harvest of this scale, he could take life easy for years, whether through drought or famine or war. <laughs> the foundation of modern economics is this, that the pursuit of self-interest by individuals will lead to the best interest of society as a whole being fulfilled. This is the law of the invisible hand from the father of classical economics, Adam Smith. Economics only became an academic discipline in the late 18th century, and yet we live and participate in a system held up by its foundations. This mode of production is kept in place by obligations and loyalties. The ideology has power because we have given it power and assumed it as true to reality. Prior to 2008, no one would have ever believed that the American economy would be susceptible to complete collapse. But an economic system built on millions of tiny little lies came crashing down, causing a global recession. And in a globalized economy, the consequences reached every corner of the world. In particular, those who were already strangled by the invisible hand. Sometimes we're so sure of the systems we participate in that we're blind to the unrealities they're upheld by. Did a pursuit of self-interest and economic freedom from Wall Street bankers lead to the fulfillment of society's best interests as the laws of the free market predict? Or did it cause millions of the poorest Americans to lose houses, jobs, and livelihoods, whilst after a moment, moment's panic on Wall Street, only a single banker was held accountable for fraud? Who will share in what you've prepared for yourself? Who will receive justice from your surplus kept under lock and key? Do not deny justice to the foreigner or the fatherless. Remember that you were once without, and the Lord God redeemed you. When the Israelites were without, God sent them bread from heaven, asking each one to gather as much as they need and not keep any of it until morning. But they did not listen. Some people rationed it and it became rotten and infested with maggots before they could use it. Taking as much as they each needed, there was still an instinct to hoard. In the moment of abundance, protecting themselves from the potential of scarcity forgetting their provider and insulating themselves from the risk of hunger. On the sixth day, God sent down more than enough, knowing that on the seventh day there would be no bread sent. Yet on the morning of the seventh day, some people went out to gather and did not find anything. With plenty already on their tables, the chance for more arose and they set out to claim it. Faced with a miracle of manna in the desert, would we still find ourselves unable to rest and resist the promise of more?
away from the table and out there in the world? Is this where we will find what we need? But perhaps we don't live in the world and at its endless disposal, but in neighborhoods and towns, our lives stretching over a couple of acres at most. When we seek to grow beyond our means, we are stealing someone else's ability to live within theirs, whether we see it or not. Upscaling, franchising, monopolizing, this is the language of the industrial economy. Can our affections really be spread that thinly? Can we gain the world without forfeiting our soul? Have we been building bigger barns? Or are we able to rest in the freedom of being provided for? When was the last time that you let yourself be provided for, perhaps even by someone you would consider lower or having less than you? Back in the field, the farmer wrestles with his self-control over the harvest. Is what has been produced rightfully his? What does he do with his surplus once he's taken what he needs? Is he safe to loosen his fists and let the edges of his fields be gleaned? When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was replaying a great, preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything now is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it, please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out, please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go to the fields and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The word economy traced back to its roots in ancient Greece is said to mean household management. There's a natural implication that how we run our own household economies will reflect how we participate in larger economies. For example, whose needs are given preference, who gets a seat at the dinner table, in a radical turn of events, the household of this certain man has been opened up to the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame, as well as those in the countryside, outside the city walls, or outside of the privileges and comforts that are provided by wealth and status. This banquet has begun a healing work in the community, reconciling those who have gained from the systems and those who have only endured it. But strangely, those who would usually fight for the most important seat at the table are nowhere to be seen. Refusing the invitation, none of those who were initially invited will get a taste. Why is it near impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven? In this case, business as usual is the excuse of at least two of the would-be guests of honor who will miss the banquet in order to upscale their workforce through purchase of land and capital. The seeds that fell by the thorns have been choked by the deception of wealth. 
The word, having fallen on deaf ears, will come to nothing this time. The high flyers seem perpetually unavailable to the kingdom. Let's imagine that the servant, while traveling on the country roads, sees our farmer working late in the field. The farmer, on receiving the invite, now has his own choice to make. There's still room at the table for him to be fed, but on hearing the word, will he have ears to hear? Will he participate in the banquet? In Isaiah it's written, the rain and snow comes down from heaven and won't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, yielding seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The seed that was planted in despair has sprouted into ripe grain and now the grain can be milled and prepared and become bread. Grapes have appeared on the vine, and they will soon be trodden and pressed. It's the ever-continuing miracle of water with the help of soil and sunlight being turned into wine. In Luke 9, we read that only a few loaves of bread when distributed among the crowds in the wilderness went far enough to feed thousands community sitting down together to eat and realizing there's more than enough to go around. Another miracle that we must have eyes to see in our day. In this delicately intricate system of living, if the rain is withheld, the land won't produce grain. And if the means to acquiring good food is withheld from some, we interrupt the miraculous flow of heaven's provision to the poor. They will not be sent away fasting, Jesus announced to his disciples. They will be fed. His words reflecting Isaiah's invitation to the hungry to come and buy bread that satisfies, even those who don't have any money. Not long after this meal, on the evening of his arrest, Jesus broke open a loaf of bread and shared it around the table. As they all ate, he spoke prophetically that by sharing the bread and wine, he was sharing his very body with all who ate his own flesh and blood now with them. This living union was proved the very next day as blood spilled from his body on the cross. And we have no excuse for thinking taking communion is about an inward spiritual reflection so much as it's about sharing. Each of us from the same table, all of us eating from the same loaf and drinking from the same source.